All right, that's some uh, good vibes again from the King. Uh, good uplifting as always. Unfortunately, this is a little bit of a heavier subject as we go into another episode here. I'm going joined again by the best color man in the business, Mr. Greg Ulinchich. Uh, just a bit outside. Just a bit outside on that one, but he's back and uh, always good to have him along on a show, uh, and uh, especially when we're talking about uh, – you know, I think serial killers because he has a vast amount of knowledge on this. And, you know, we've both read the, I don't know uh, if that's good or bad. Right? Yeah. I started to say in a good way, uh, you know, cause both of us and, you know, we definitely recommend, uh, the, uh, 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 John Douglas books. Yes. Um, uh, Robert, Robert wrestler was a great book. Whoever fights monsters. Yep. That's definitely one of the better ones that, uh, I mean, really tells how these are. And there, we're going to talk about, on this episode, one that we've spent some time just talking about privately and before one that uh, we're both in agreement is among the more really evil and depraved serial killers that American history has had. And uh, many of you know him as the BTK killer, bound, torture, and kill. That would be none other than Dennis Rader, uh, who back in the 1970s um, basically put the city of Wichita, Kansas and, and the Kansas area there in a you know state of fear and panic. And uh, Dennis Rader was born, it says, in Wichita, Kansas, um, born to parents that worked a lot, not very affectionate. You know, of course, he later, they said, resented his mother for that. And, you know, at a young age, he started getting involved in some kind of violent behavior uh, where it always starts at homicidal triage, torturing animals, um, some violent sexual fantasies, which again, if you read uh, some of the books that Greg just mentioned, one of the excellent theories those guys, these profilers from the FBI put together is that almost all of these serial killers start with a violent and sexually perverted fantasy world before they end up acting on it. Yeah, uh, they, they, they don't start out that way. I mean, you just don't start out. They work their way up. They may go to window peeking. They may... Break in and steal women's underwear. And Raider did just those things you mentioned. Exactly. Uh, they work up to it. And then they work up to the kill. And once they do the kill, that high is never reached again. They keep trying with other with other uh, um, victims, but they never reach that high again. Yep, and that was certainly the case with him. And uh, the other odd thing about him, well, I wouldn't say it's odd because it's actually fairly common in these serial killers is nobody really expects it. You know, he's once again, another one of those just kind of no pun intended below the radar here, you know, I mean, but he, uh, you know, he lived uh, at what everyone perceived to be a fairly normal life. You know, he went to uh, college first time, dropped out, got in the air force, did that. Uh, once he got out, he worked at, a, I think is at an IGA grocery store, uh, ended up getting married, had two kids, um, eventually went back to college and got his bachelor's degree in criminal justice, of all things. Well, Ryan, that's one of the things these people seem to gravitate to. They, it's all about domination, manipulation, and control. They all, and they all want to identify with police officers, security people, so they can get that domination, manipulation, and control. Yep, and he certainly, very good point. That certainly fit the profile with him um, because, uh, you know, we know later he became a compliance officer with uh, one of the suburbs there of Wichita was known for his uh, fanatic, uh, you know, strict enforcement, harassing uh, single females, especially. But he, I think, like you said, yeah, I agree. He liked having that power and authority, even if it was just a, you know, a code enforcement or compliance officer, 
it was still some kind of power and authority. And yeah, it, it, you are very true. A lot of these, uh, they are drawn to that kind of thing. Well, I mean, he was drawn to the drama. You know, you got these people that are basically losers, but they believe that there's something special. And to to go into what his, what we we're going to talk about his confession, more or less, on television, he was the star and he ate it up. You ain't kidding. Yep. Very good point made. And uh, I like that too, you know, that point you made on that because uh, he, uh, I am going to plan on, you know, there's not enough time to play it on this show, but on the, on the the Rhino Report Facebook page, I am going to post that confession. It's, it's chilling because I believe it was the judge or the lead investigator in the case said, you know, when he's describing these killings that he did, it's almost like he said he was just describing and listing his grocery list. I mean, there was no type of emotion or remorse whatsoever. Well, I mean, this was when Robert Ressler's book, Whoever Fights Monsters, the actual quote is, is from Nietzsche, the German philosopher. And it says, whoever fights monsters should see to it. He does not become a monster because once you look into the abyss, the abyss also looks into you. And that's a warning to law enforcement officers, judges, prosecutors. When you look into evil, evil also looks into you. Yep. And there's no doubt he was evil. Um, he, uh, you know, the violent and sexually, you know, perverted ways about these killings that he did. And I believe his first murder was a family. He killed uh, a couple and I think the two small children that were there too. Yeah, he killed, uh, he killed, he didn't kill children. I mean, he's... You know, it, it, it's uh, we cannot comprehend a mind like Dennis Rader. I yeah, mean, I, I totally agree. And no amount of study or anything that we've done. And I think, you know, we have come a long way. There was a time when criminal justice, criminology, things like that were not approached from a scientific point of view. I'm glad we're getting more towards that. Like I said, I know at the University of Cincinnati, I studied a lot on biological theories, which fascinate me because I, I am convinced after studying them that a lot of our behavior criminal, uh, and otherwise is influenced by our genetics. And, uh, you know, well, I mean, a lot of people don't understand the study of criminology, police work is relatively a new science. Yes, it really is compared to a lot of other sciences. And, uh, but I'm glad it's slowly being approached at that, but I do agree totally that, no amount of study is going to help us really truly get inside the mind and understand somebody like Dennis Rader. Well, I never could understand that the vast majority, as over 98% of serial killers, are white European males. Yep. If I could figure that out, I'd write a book and make a lot of money. It would be nice, but, if, and you know, I'd, I'd be willing to co-author that with you and make some money too, <laughs> but... I wanted to discuss this because I want Greg to get credit for this because ever since we've talked about this and I've featured this uh, BTK case in some of my criminology classes that I teach and things like that. And I've never heard any criminologists mention their theory like what Greg has on it. And I'm going to give him a chance here in a second to just explain it, but it's very fascinating. I think it makes sense. And uh, well, Greg, go ahead and explain why you, you think his case is unique compared to other serial killers. Well, Serial killers, there's always a sexual aspect of it. Even David Berkowitz, the son of Sam, he shot people with the 44 Magnum. He would go back to the site and masturbate. Uh, they take trophies and they relive this. A trophy may be a piece, an earring, a piece of clothing, clothing they have, they wear, and they fantasize about this 
and they have a sexual experience. For Dennis Rader to stop like he did, serial killers don't stop. He must have had some sort of erectile dysfunction or some problems with his plumbing because he didn't stop voluntarily. No, and that's that's something that is, I know, and I don't, like I said, we'll never do a show about Ted Bundy because I'm sick of hearing about Ted Bundy, but he's an example that, you know, would have never stopped. And uh, Edmund Kemper, you know, we've talked about before, uh, all these different ones, there was, had they not been caught, they never would have stopped because I agree you know, from what you're saying and what the research has shown, they never can reach that high again, but they continue to do it. And they also, as the uh, profilers we mentioned, they have very perverse, you know, fantasy lives that they're never able to quite fulfill again. You know, Dahmer, I don't think would have ever stopped had he not been caught. And, uh, but that is NRAC. Raider got to the age and it does coincide with the time he stopped. He went dormant for what, about 14 years, I think. Yeah. The only way, reason he got caught was because of his ego he wanted the publicity yep uh and what and ignorance he, of technology ignorance of technology. you know what did he he made a deal with the police officer or something what was that he right? uh said uh that he made he had something on a floppy disk that he wanted to submit to them and he actually asked the police if they could trace it off a floppy disk which they knew very well they could but they put something out even in one of the wichita newspapers saying no go ahead and send it in we can't do it. And of course he was dumb in that regard, sent it in. I think he did it from uh, something from church property because yeah, they did it on the church computer. And that, you know, and that's the thing again about the image is, is, you know, with these guys, how some of them were able to hide that he was the president of the Christ Lutheran church or something like that congregation, a boy scout master. I mean, I even read sometimes after raping and killing these women, 30 minutes later, he'd show up at the scout camp out, just, you know, all ready to go be Mr. Scoutmaster. Yeah, his uh, daughter uh, wrote a book and because he couldn't believe his, her father, he couldn't, she couldn't believe it. And she wrote a whole book about that. I've not read it. I, in fact, I just found out about it by researching this. Oh, today. cool. Yeah, I wasn't aware of that either. And uh, about, uh, so he was a solid family man who had a big, deep, dark secret. Yep, that is uh, that is interesting to point out because uh, he did have some secrets and uh, he was able to hide him for a long time. And uh, but uh, I think and also that proves the profiling theory that they had about the fantasy life. My understanding, he did keep trophies just like all the others. He had his little treehouse there. He would continually go back and look at these and and reminisce and uh, try to go back and remember these times. They all keep trophies. They all keep trophies. Again, we normal. "Quote unquote," yeah. <laughs> normal people, um, they can't comprehend this. But this is the high point of their lives. This is they they live this over and over again, and they they were this again. It, we just cannot comprehend it. My personal theory, and I always use this in class, that I think a lot of us ha- may have the makeup to be a serial killer. Um, I think that. Just like there's an old, uh, if you watch The Price is Right, they have those, uh, uh, oh, oh, the Plinko, the Plinko I think you yeah. meant, yeah. The Plinko, yes, sorry, thank you. The Plinko game, you know, but those people that have that genetic makeup may have good parents, they may have a good teacher, they may have a good coach, good clergyman, and so they don't actually, they have that, but they don't act upon it. And some have like a perfect storm where they have terrible family life, terrible uh, adolescence, and the genetic makeup to it. 
and they become monsters. Yep. And, uh, you know, and I think a good example, uh, like I mentioned, was Berkowitz, going back to him a second ago. Berkowitz was adopted by a nice, loving, middle-class uh, couple. You know, I think they were unable to have children. And, uh, you know, uh, they found out later that uh, Berkowitz's biological parents were a little screwed up. And, uh, you know, it was there. And uh, it just took a few things to trigger that. And, uh, you know, yep, the rest is history. And, uh, yeah, the potential is there, you know, far more than we realize. And I don't know, I wasn't able to find in Raider's case that he had any type of of abuse. Now he did mention that, you know, his parents were busy and he didn't get any love or affection or anything like that. I didn't read about anything per se that he suffered any type of abuse or anything really severe like that. But, uh, something was going on on the server. The signs were there, but obviously they were missed. You know, as a child, he was doing, as I talked about, said, go the homicidal triage. He's torturing animals, you know, um, you know, probably was involved in arson and things like that. And that's the interesting thing about Berkowitz before he started killing people that they said he set, like a thousand fires. Yep, very much a pyromaniac, and that is uh, it goes uh, I mean, hand in hand in it. And uh, you know, Kuklinski, the Ice Man, Richard Kuklinski, he started out killing and torturing cats when he was a kid. You know, I mean, that's oftentimes where it starts. But going back to the ego thing, I think that is something too that shows the the well, I would say lack of character, not so much the character of Dennis Rader, but the detectives, you know, when they finally pulled him over and they got enough evidence, which oddly, uh, DNA came to save the day because at the time he did all these things, DNA did not exist. You know, had DNA not ever been caught or not DNA not been made and him, you know, his ignorance of technology, they may not have ever caught him. But like you said, his desire to be in the spotlight and be a publicity hound brought him down. But the detective said he'll never forget, you know, when they come up and arrest him, they pull him over, I think a couple blocks or something from his house. It wasn't very far. And they said, you know, Mr. Raider, do you know why you're going downtown? And he just kind of, you know, yeah, I got a pretty good idea. You know, he he knew that, you know, it was up. And uh, what will always, that detective said, will always just floor him is that Raider was totally serious and was like, you lied to me about the technology. You know, I mean, here's a guy that's committed some of the most perverted and, you know, violent, gruesome deaths in our country's history, held a state. I mean, and that's another thing. He was working for... Um, I think ADT alarms and people in the Wichita area were getting these because of him. And he was installing them in people's homes. People didn't even know the very guy they were buying these for was in their home installing them. But he, uh, strange he job, uh, job. Uh, yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, he put a whole state in a state of fear and panic. And uh, yet he was really, truly pissed off that this detective, quote unquote, lied to him. Well, I mean. If it wasn't for his ego and sending that disc, he he couldn't he couldn't stand it. He 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 had to have that spotlight, and that's a strange thing about these people. I mean, again, um, and you know, it, I know we've had this debate before about uh, nature versus nurture and this, that, and the other. Yeah. I think it's a combination of the both. I agree. It studies and most reliable ones have shown that. But I mean. A lot of uh, uh, psychologists, sociologists, criminologists, are they want to put everything on behavior. And believe me, I don't think, the, again, why are they all white males? Yeah. I mean, almost all of them are white males. Yeah. And I mean, I know they have uh, uh, father, come from fam- families where fathers are not in the picture and they have domineering mothers. But it happens in the black community, too. Yeah. And I mean, it happens in every, every community, uh, Asian, what yep. have you. Why are they all just white males? Yep. I know that, it, like I said, if you could really truly find that reason for that, mm-hmm. you you probably could become a rich man. But uh, but you know, 
in Raider's case, uh, you know, that was something that always floored those detectives is that he was truly bothered by that. And, uh, you know, but going back, like I said, and we're going to share this on the Facebook page later is, uh, you know, the confession, I, I watched it. I remember it live. I remember watching it when it happened on court TV. And I, I remember too, just thinking, wow, I, I had just started teaching uh, part-time, you know, around that time. And it was something I was, you know, looking forward to discuss in my class. But that's what I described it of is like, like a grocery list or something. I mean, the coldness that he had was just phenomenal. Well, didn't he have like a white sports coat on? He had stuff? a white sports coat on. And, and like, you know, I, I'm like you. I think, though, he enjoyed that moment being in the spotlight because the psychologist that did his evaluations did say that he did suffer from illusions of grandeur. Oh, almost definitely. Or delusions of grandeur. I'm sorry. I mean, the man uh, the man was – he thinks – he expects more out of life than what he's has the tools to do. And um, this is the way to get his – to, to, to satisfy this need along with sex and the fantasy. It satisfies his need for publicity to all the world to see that yeah. I, I did this. Yeah. He, and he loved, you know, like I said, and taunted the letters and, you know, again, I guess he never foresaw at the time DNA was going to come along. Had DNA not come along, I don't know that they would have caught him even because even with the, tricking him with the technology and they were able to trace it down to the church, they said, basically they got, DNA, they got a warrant to get DNA off his daughter's pap smear mm-hmm. to actually end up tracing him down to one of these murders. That's the links they had to go to to bring him to justice. Now, in the 1970s, when he was doing a lot of this stuff, that did not exist. And the other thing, speaking of the 70s, that really kind of saved him in this aspect, at that time, Kansas did not have a death penalty. So he, in 2005, I think it was, when he was brought to trial and convicted and sentenced on this, uh, life sentences were all they could give him, which I think he got like you know, 10 life sentences in a row or something. I mean, you know, he'll never obviously see the light of day and, uh, nor should he, nor should he. Yes, exactly. But, um, you know, had the death penalty been in play at that time, uh, who knows, he may be looking at, uh, you know, getting the juice right about now. Well, uh, I think there's certain crimes that I think death is. I totally agree. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, the, the two rulings in the seventies, again, going back to that, uh, you know, uh, they, uh, Furman versus Georgia, Greg versus Georgia. We cover those a lot in my class and, you know, they, they changed some procedures and the way things are done. And I think death penalty cases should be, you know, pursued with caution and review and, uh, you know, making sure you have things right. But I totally agree. There are some cases that, totally warrant this. And this is certainly one of them. I mean, when you'll kill children and violently and sexually mutilate and kill, you know, the women to the level that he did, uh, you know, you forfeit your right to participate in society anymore. Well, I mean, it's a cliche, but really death's too good for him. I mean, even his death is not going to, to compensate the families for this loss. I mean, it's sad. I mean, being involved with crime and stuff, as you have, you know, uh, something, a murder like that affects so many people. And uh, there's there's brothers, sisters, parents. I mean, it just doesn't affect, and a community. Yes. And a whole community, oh, as Wichita. And for what he did, really, yeah, we could kill him, but it still wouldn't give these people the necessary closure. Closure, yeah, exactly. And that... 
you know, but it, it's a, a fascinating case. And I, I'm glad you mentioned that too, because it, it doesn't get pointed out enough. If you look at these serial killers, almost all of them, sex is involved in this. You know, it's not, it's a subject people don't really want to touch on and talk about, but like, uh, you know, Mr. Kessler, I think, and these others pointed out, they, they start with a violent sexual fantasy life. Yeah. I mean, well, too many people are, again, I, look at the news media and look at the Hollywood. It's not the way it is in real life. I mean, you know, I'm a private investigator. I don't have a Ferrari. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, and I, I grew up uh, watching old Westerns, you yeah. know. Yeah, my good example I use on this, and, you know, they, they're always this uh, at sundown or high noon. They all go to the middle of the street and they draw, you know, and shoot. That almost never happened. No. It's all all uh, dime novelist and the and uh, Hollywood. It never happened. Yeah, and the same thing I tell the class about court. You know, with my jobs I've had over the years, I've spent a ton of time in court. I can't count how many, you know, hundreds or thousands of hours I've spent inside a courtroom. And I've never seen the prosecutor sit there and drill somebody to the point they finally just decide to confess to God and the whole world what they did wrong, like you see all the time. Perry Mason. Perry Mason, exactly. And then, the you know, this is circumstantial evidence. I, I make sure my classes know this. Just had one where they were quizzed on that. Circumstantial evidence can hold up in court. You can be convicted on it. But television and movies have people totally convinced that it it doesn't count if it's circumstantial evidence. It, it's just not the case. And, uh, you know, I had uh, Mr. Zanotti, the Williamson County State's attorney, speak to one of my classes a couple years ago, and I was glad he mentioned what they call the CSI effect. They actually now will uh, quiz potential jurors to find out if they watch these shows because they have so distorted reality that they don't want people on juries that are warped by this, you know. I, I, I'm laughing now, but I totally agree. You know, I'm not taking anything away from the criminalists. That's what they call the people for that yeah. work in the labs. And they do a great job. They don't usually drive around in Hummers. No. They don't have penthouse apartments. <laughs> they all don't look like... Uh, supermodels. Supermodels or George Clooney, the guys. Yeah. No. I mean, they do a great job. And it's the it's the detective. It's the cops that go door to door. Yeah. I mean... And it's the nerd in the lab that usually discovers this scientific evidence that enough to where they can use it in court, not the, the detective on the scene. You know, there very few of these detectives have the training and, you know, whatnot to, uh, you know... And speaking of Magnum, we have... Uh, <laughs> Ringtone, sorry. No, that's good. Um, but, uh, yeah, they, they have distorted the reality where people just don't quite understand... Uh, how different this is. And we'll probably do a show on that coming up soon, you know, and, and on how much uh, media has distorted reality. And I think we definitely need to do a, something covering on uh, mob justice. And, uh, you know, so, uh, so, but uh, yeah, speaking of Magnum PI, but, uh, but anyway, we'll be coming up on another episode. Uh, we'll, cover on these topics what we have then and uh i'm going to uh again like i said i always like before i'll give him a chance to you know say a little final piece here i would like to uh again you know mention about dogs we have a dog that is available for fostering right now you can check out the facebook page it is available but um it is uh something to always consider doing um, we've talked about a lot of bad evil people tonight but uh 
dogs don't bring that into your world. And uh, consider getting you a best friend today. Oh yeah, I mean, there's no bad evil dogs. There's just bad evil people. Yeah, I'll give a, I'll give a shameless plug to uh, anybody interested in uh, karate classes. I'm teaching uh, yep. Monday and Wednesdays at Ghost Gym in Marion. Yep, I was there the other night. Uh, great stuff. Valuable lessons for these kids to learn how to defend themselves and how to, uh, you know, um, be able to, uh, you know, also learn some important values and things. So uh, definitely uh, something to check out. So, yes, it's over at uh, the Gold's Gym, Marion, Illinois, uh, Monday so, and Wednesday night at 6, I think. And, six, uh, yes. yep, please uh, join if you can. So, uh, you know, get out and support us. Yeah. So... On that note, uh, we've enjoyed this conversation with you, and uh, we'll be talking about it probably another future serial killer on the next one. Probably leave that one for a surprise. Uh, but again, we've uh, enjoyed bringing this to you, and uh, we appreciate you tuning in and supporting us, and uh, we look forward to some uh, conversation again.